What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today, I have a little Q&A style episode for us. These were actually questions that were asked on my last week's uh, Q&A that I do on Instagram every week. And I had every intent of doing it by the end of the week, but the week got away from me. So here we are today. And the goal is to, I'm going to get through all of them. I think I only have like five or six of them, but thank you to everybody who asked a question. And yeah, I'm looking forward to today because there's, there's a lot of good ones and ones that I kind of purposefully kept for today just to, just to be able to elaborate a little bit more on them and to provide a little bit more context and honestly, to just rant a little bit more on it. So uh, bear with me if I go off on a tangent on some of these things, but the first one is, is a good one. And, um, it is, shoot one second. Let me track these questions down. Okay. First question is thoughts on the weight loss medication dilemma right now. Now, this is a very broad and complicated topic. And before I go on about anything right now, I just want people to understand that nothing that I'm about to say or nothing that you read or hear online is medical advice. And and you need to talk to your doctor before acting on any type of information that you get from someone like me or an influencer on social media or even a doctor on social media or even your friend if they're taking something or they started something. Like this is a... This is a very serious thing and I I just, I don't want people to act on impulse on these things and make a really big decision without considering everything or talking to somebody who is in your corner before doing it, okay? So um, before we get started, I just wanted to make sure that that is something that I make very clear is like be skeptical on who you get your medical information from, especially if it's on social media or friends or family. And two, before you make big decisions on taking new medications or getting some of these things, like always acknowledge the pros and cons and make sure you're coming from kind of a neutral or level-headed space where, you know, you're making an informed decision instead of a sporadic decision or a decision based on emotion alone. Now, uh, I know what this person is referring to, but a lot of people have probably seen these weight loss medication names before. Uh, semaglutide is, is it semaglutide? I think that's how you pronounce it. Or maybe it's semaglutide. I don't know. Tomato, tomato. But semaglutide is the name of this weight loss drug that has kind of been all over the internet and social media and magazines. And I feel like I see it everywhere. But again, I'm, I'm kind of immersed in the health and fitness kind of side of things on social media. So I feel like I'm exposed to a lot of this stuff. But it's kind of been the one of the hot topics of discussion in the health and fitness space recently. And the brand names that sell this drug are Ozempic and Wegovi, which are probably two of the names that you might've seen more if you're not familiar with the semaglutide, um, just kind of the, the generic name of the drug that's being sold. But Ozempic is the brand that sells it to treat type two diabetes. So you'll see it kind of advertised for that population while Wegovi is the brand that sells it to treat obesity. Um, but for all intents and purposes, like they're the exact same thing. And we're going to kind of use those words interchangeably today, but it's all kind of under the same uh, drug and they have the same mechanisms behind it. Now, if we look at what semaglutide is, it's a GLP-1 agonist because this acts like GLP-1 in the body and GLP-1 is just a hormone that's produced in the gut that does a variety of things, but a few things that are relevant to the conversation that we're having right now. But one is it increases insulin production, which is why it can be a really common and productive way to help treat type 2 diabetes. Uh, Another one is it slows gastric emptying or it decreases, um, you know, how quickly your stomach is moving food through your stomach down your small intestine and so forth. Um, And it also can provide some sort of like uh, central signaling that tells you that you're full or that you're satiated after a meal or uh, it's it's essentially like an appetite suppressant. So, you know, both of those things, the, the ability to slow gastric emptying or the release of food from your stomach into your small intestine and 
the kind of satiating effects that this medication has naturally increase your fullness, which can naturally increase, um, sorry, not increase, but decrease your calorie intake, which is why people lose weight on it. Uh, Not to mention that uh, one of the side effects is nausea, pretty intense nausea, uh, especially when you eat larger meals, uh, which is also probably some sort of deterrent when it comes to eating a lot when you're taking these medications, which is where you can kind of see some benefit from this. But at the end of the day, it's an appetite suppressant and it can really work well by helping people decrease the amount of energy that they are consuming on a day-to-day basis. Now, if we look at what the pros of these medications are, um, you know, the first one is the obvious one is they work (laughs) straight up. Like you take it, you feel fuller, you eat less over time and you lose weight. Like that's how it works. The stats don't lie. And if you have type two diabetes or if you have obesity, this pro probably outweighs any of the cons that I'm going to say in a second, especially if it's done, you know, in addition to, you know, changing your uh, lifestyle or having some of these lifestyle interventions that are going to be complementary to, you know, the diet, the medication, uh, everything that it takes to lose and sustain that weight loss long-term. Now, if we think about the cons, because that... I would say for a lot of people who are in that class where they have uncontrolled type 2 diabetes, they have overweight or obesity, and they have battled with that for years, and um, you know they have 50, 100, 150 pounds to lose, like those, this pro outweighs a lot of the cons that we're going to talk about from like your metabolic health standpoint. But if we do look at the cons, because in my opinion, there's a laundry list of them, Um, I think it'd be ignorant to ignore the fact uh, that, you know, finances play a huge role in your ability to take these, especially take them for a period of time or long term. But one of the number one cons that I see is these drugs are expensive as fuck, right? And I'm talking like, I'd actually couldn't tell you exact numbers, but maybe anywhere from 10 to $20,000 a year. And if you if you're in a position and you know, you have really good insurance and you qualify to get this medication covered by insurance, that's great. And I think that there are some people that fall into that bucket and they have a provider who's on top of it and, um, you know, can work with you and can get these things covered. And and, in those situations, like, I think that that's a really awesome thing, but that's not everybody. And a lot of people are paying for these things out of pocket or they're, and sometimes I see this where maybe you don't go through a provider. Maybe you go through like your Medi spa or something and somebody's like, Hey, I can get you a Wegovi and give you a hookup and it's half the price or something like that's a problem in its own. Cause are you actually getting that medication? What's actually in that med? Um, you know, in some of those situations, you're actually taking it away from the people who actually need it or who are actually being prescribed it. Cause there is a shortage of this medication now that has become so popular. Um, but long story short, I, I think the financial side of thing is one of the biggest cons because it's fucking expensive. Um, and, and you have to consider that before starting to take it. Cause it's not this like take it for two week kind of thing, uh, which brings me to my next point, which is this idea that you'll probably, or you might need to take this medication forever to keep the results that you get from that medication. Now, the research that we have shows that people regain the weight pretty damn quickly once they get off the drug after taking it for a period of time and seeing some results from that. And because we're not really sure what like the long-term side effects are, it makes, man, it just makes this idea of being on these drugs forever kind of fucking daunting if you ask me, right? So this idea that, again, you'll take it for a period of time, get to where you want to be and then come off of it and then just be happy ever after, like that's actually not a thing too. And there's a great chance that if you start this med, you're likely going to be on it for the long term. So that's something that I, you also need to consider and contemplate before taking it. Um, another another thing that comes to my mind is because I've known uh, people who have taken it when I was working weirdly in uh, the clinical setting, kind of before these drugs were really popular. I, I was working in a dialysis clinic and a, a patient of ours was really trying to get Wegovy. Um, long story short, we weren't able to get it 
for him. I say we, um, but I was working with the doctor and primary care doctor that he was seeing and all this stuff. But again, a very expensive insurance wouldn't cover it. Dialysis is expensive as it is. This dude needed a lot to lose a lot of weight to get on the kidney transplant list, but also needed to, you know, maintain his nutritional status, uh, which is another huge uh, thing we have to consider, like if you're not eating enough protein and some of these vitamins and minerals, if you're not a good fit to go into that transplant. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of things that had to be considered, but, um, I've also known people who have taken this and nausea and just feeling uncomfortable, um, vomiting. Those are all real, real side effects that you get from taking this medication. Um, you know, it's not something that everybody can handle either, and it definitely comes down to you as an individual and how the drug is um, kind of titrated or, you know, what your starting dose is and how you progress over time to the dose that you're going to be taking long term. Like there's a lot of inputs that go into it. But at the end of the day, you know, nausea and your ability to handle food goes down or your ability to handle food goes down, but your nausea can get ramped up really quickly and not everybody can handle it or can really decrease the quality of your life and especially around food and eating as well. So definitely something that you need to consider. But one of the things that I think is probably the the biggest um, con or downfall of taking this drug is your likelihood of losing muscle mass, right? Muscle loss is something that also happens when you start taking these medications because Again, one of the mechanisms is it's appetite suppressant. It helps you reduce your calorie intake. Uh, you lose uh, fat and you also lose muscle, like like lean um, body mass over time in addition to the fat loss. Now, again, I would say that this is probably one of the more serious downsides because muscle mass is like our health currency as we get older and having more muscle mass for most people is likely going to be a good thing. And if you think about it, if you go on these medications and your calories are super low and your appetite is decreased, but your appetite for protein is also going to be something that likely decreases, man, both of those things, not eating enough calories and not eating enough protein are going to put you at serious risk for losing muscle and a fuck ton of muscle. So, you know, if you couple that with this idea that you're not even working out, or resistance training and intentionally training, like again, you're gonna lose a lot of a lot of lean tissue, which is just a bad plan over the long term. So definitely um, another con. And I, I'm sure there's more, but those are the things that come to mind. So uh, kind of referring back to this question, sorry, I'm on this tangent already, um, but I think it's important to give some backstory and some insights to people who have never heard this medication before, just some of the, the things that come to my mind when I think about this question. Um, so should people consider taking it? Like, again, I'm not giving you medical advice at all. And what I will say is like, if you have obesity or type two diabetes or, um, other, you know, cardio metabolic conditions or, um, fatty liver disease, like a lot of these things that are really detrimental to your health, it might be a good idea. And it's probably, I, I'm not going to say it might be a good idea. I can't tell you again if it's a good idea or not, but it's probably a good idea to talk to your doctor about it and to see if that's even an option that, that could be put on the table. Um, but if it is something that you end up taking or people do take, just please, please, please remember, prioritize your protein, maybe eat that first, try and get a minimum amount in every day and continue to lift. Like those are the things that you need to do alongside taking this medication that are going to give you the best chances of, of taking this medicine and, and still being as healthy as possible. Um, because again, you know, not, you know, not eating enough calories or, or losing that weight will provide a net benefit for a lot of people. But another thing is, again, you could fuck up your muscle mass um, you can fuck up your nutrition status, right? Alongside protein, like not being able to meet the minimum amount of requirements of these micronutrients, let alone your macronutrients can kind of um, put you at risk for becoming unhealthier internally as well. Uh, even same thing with like messing up hormone regulation and a lot of these consequences that come from chronically underfueling. Um, again, like you losing a hundred pounds, taking it like, yes, that's, that, that might be the thing that outweighs all the things that we're talking about, but still 
it's just something that you need to consider. Um, always eat protein and always continue to lift if you do do this medication because that is something that will curb some of the downfalls that we see when taking this medication. So, um, but again, <laughs> if none of this pertains to you and if you're somebody who's like a normal body weight and you're just trying to lose a few extra pounds to get a little bit leaner, to have more ab definition or whatever it is, that's probably a really shitty idea. And that, in my opinion, shouldn't even be something that crosses your mind. So yeah, going back to the question, I don't even know if I answered it. Thoughts on the weight loss medication dilemma right now? Thoughts on it? Yeah. Um, thoughts on it. You know, I, I have a lot of thoughts about it. And again, there's a lot of different directions that we can go in talking about it, but it all depends on the context, you know, which is what I think a lot of people lack when, you know, we see these debates about this on social media or on other podcasts or on the news or from your friends or coworkers. Like there's just a lot of controversy around these medications and just the idea of people taking medications to help them lose weight. You know, there's, uh, and I'll say it because I see the people, there's a lot of people who are advocating for it and who are in the corner of like, hey, this could be a really good tool and a lot of people could benefit from it. Uh, but again, there's also a fuck ton of people who are super against it, right? And um, for me personally, do I think it's appropriate for everybody? Like, absolutely not. You know, especially, I th- honestly think celebrities, I, I don't even know, maybe it was a Kardashian or something. Like, I think that's when some things kind of spark this wildfire of seeing celebrities or really influential people take some of these meds. And then, as you know, like when you have 30 million followers, like, that reached is just a wildfire in the, in the social media space. But, you know, these celebrities taking meds to lose an extra, you know, five or 10 pounds to model a fucking bikini or to, to rock a dress at the Met Gala, you know, for, you know, one night like that, that shit just kills me, honestly. Um, but if somebody is battling obesity and there's a medication that can help them get on the right track, like I don't see a problem with that at all. Like I, and I, Honestly, I think it could be a really positive intervention for a lot of people. You know, if somebody has high blood pressure, there's nothing wrong. We don't blink an eye of like, you know, getting somebody a blood pressure med or giving insulin to a diabetic or uh, even prescribing like a statin for high cholesterol, you know, and even on the opposite, like if people have trouble gaining weights, right, or they're super depressed and they have no appetite, you know, there's nothing wrong with prescribing them an appetite a stimulant or even like helping them get cannabis or smoking a little bit of weed or something and, and getting them to help with that. Now we finally have a medication that can help with weight loss and can help battle obesity and people are losing their minds over it. Like, I don't know, man. Like, and don't get me wrong here. There's, there's still a shit ton of work to be done by the person taking the medication, right? It's not this like cure where you take the pill and you get the results and your life is happily ever after, right? Like there's a lot of lifestyle and habit intervention and education that needs to be done alongside that person, especially with the healthcare provider or healthcare provider team that's, you know, dealing with that patient or that client or somebody who's taking that medication. Like it doesn't end at, here's the pill, good luck, you're going to be healthy, you know, forever because you're taking it. It's just, it, it doesn't work like that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I I don't know, but I don't I don't think doctors should just throw these medications at everyone who walks in the door, right? Like, um, again, nor should even the, I think the average person have access to uh, these type of medications through, you know, whatever wellness spa they're going to, or you know, some dude they can DM on Instagram to get the to get their medication sent to their door discreetly. It's like, man, I, I that that stuff kills me, and I just don't think that the average person who has like a normal BMI or who, you know, does not meet a set of criteria should be able to have access to it, let alone take it. So yeah, this is a really complicated topic. Um, Battling obesity is hard and it's super fucking complicated and it takes time and patience and education. And honestly, it, it takes a lot of hard work. You know, there's a lot of stuff outside of people's control, socioeconomic status, their environment, their genetics, like the, the, the household that they live in, like their ability to comprehend and, and implement interventions that, you know, they get from other people. It's like 
obesity is really complex, you know, and, and um, this medication for obvious reasons shouldn't be used as, you know, making this a quick fix for that. Um, but I also need people to understand that using this medication is not a crutch and it's not this easy way out that, you know, you might hear some people talking about or arguing. So I don't know, a lot to consider here. I hope this answered this question. I didn't even know how I was going to attack this question, but yeah, just some thoughts that come to mind on what it is and how it works and side effects of it. And then kind of where I stand on the whole dilemma of people should take it or should they not take it? Um, again, it all depends on the context and the person. So, all right, I digress. I'm going to end that question right there. Uh, let's go to the next one, which is how to calculate your three macros. So before I get started on this and, and answer this, I, this could be a very, um, and this, I'm going to try and make this as simple as possible to give you a starting point. But I also have to say that I don't think tracking all three macros is necessary for most people. And I always use these words to beat around the bush and to not make definitive terms and claims, right? But I, in my experience working with people and my own experience tracking macros and calories, like for 99% of the people who are tracking their food and tracking numbers, tracking all three macros to me is making something that can be difficult for some people more difficult and more frustrating when in reality we could likely get you the same, if not you know the exact same results by just tracking total calories and protein. Um, I also have been on this crusade of like helping my clients track fiber and kind of looking at that as a really important kind of um, metric to keep in, uh, keep in, in check when you are tracking food and, and making these adjustments to your diet. But in general, you know, unless you are a, uh, maybe a competitive bodybuilder or physique competitor and you're cutting and you're, you're getting stage ready, like, yes, I, I do think that, there is an advantage for sure of tracking all three macros. Or maybe you're a, an athlete that's trying to squeeze out every percentage of potential that you could get from your nutrition to complement your training and your performance. I think that there could be some benefit from hitting a minimum number of fats in, in carb targets, right? Um, or even in situations where maybe people have been low carb or high carb or low fats or whatever it is, and, and they kind of have an unhealthy relationship with one of the macros because they've deemed it as something that, you know, is bad, like keto dieters or low carb dieters being afraid of carbs. And we're trying to get you to eat more of them. I think tracking all macros to get like a minimum amount of, you know, carbs or whatever macro it is could be beneficial as well. But fuck in general, I just think that I just think tracking calories and tracking protein, as long as our calories and protein are equated and what we've seen in the research, like you're going to get the same results, weight loss, weight gain. And a lot of times it gives you more flexibility to kind of pick and choose how you want your day to go. You don't have to have this perfect structure every day to hit these three numbers all the time. And I just find that it's it's likely a little bit more sustainable for people and it's less rigid and those things together can just make this experience a lot more enjoyable than people make it out to be. Because a lot of times these experiences when tracking food, like people just have negative experiences and then that, that kind of, um, you know, creates this opinion or this frustration around eating and changing their body composition or improving their performance and, and thinking that it has to be more complicated than it actually needs to be. So again, I think tracking just calories and protein could be a very enlightening experience if if you've been tracking macros for a long time and you want to kind of, I'm not even going to say regress or take a step down to that because I, I still think that, that it has equal benefits. Um, but if you're somebody who's thinking about tracking for the first time, I would almost push you in the direction of tracking calories and protein first. And, and chances are you're going to like what you see or do because of that. Now, if <laughs> nothing that I just said is shooing you away from like tracking all three macros and being able to calculate it, uh, let's answer that question because I, I think it can be useful. And 
I always, I need to start by saying, like I say with everything that like every number that I say here is, is not an exact science. And to be honest, like this is probably one of the lazier ways that you could track these nutrients or to come up with your starting numbers. But again, what these are starting numbers, starting recommendations. And there's a lot of wiggle room that you could potentially have based on preferences or your body type or whatever goals that you're working towards. Uh, but in general, this is how I, how, how I would answer this question. Um, but you would need a starting calorie number. And depending on your goals, that calorie number or range is likely going to change, whether you're losing weight, maintaining it, um, maybe trying to eat more or support your performance, you know, use, there's, there's a lot of different calculators out there. I think, um, I think pre uh, precise nutrition has a good one. I also think just TDE, uh, calculator.com could be a good, you know, resource or a good starting point. You enter all your anthropometrics in and then they shoot out a number and it could be a good starting point. Um, but a lot of times they don't actually give you macro numbers, but let's say you get your calorie target now to break because tracking macros is essentially tracking your total calories. Like you need your total calories to come up with some of these numbers. And, um, once you have your starting calorie range, what I want you to do is to multiply your body weight in pounds by 0.7. Now, could you do less or more than this 0.7 number? Absolutely. Uh, but it's going to give us a starting point. And I, I usually recommend it to most people in these situations if we're starting to track protein for the first time. But I think 0.7 is a good number to shoot for. It's also a good minimum to maximize the benefits you can get from eating more protein. But take your body weight, multiply it by 0.7. This is going to be your starting um, daily protein target. So here, I'll do it with everybody. Let's say you weigh 200 pounds and you multiply that by 0.7, you get 140 grams. So 140 grams is what your protein target is going to be. Next, I want you to, we're going to kind of solve for fat here, but I think a bare minimum for most people would be around 0.4 if we're looking at um, how many grams of fat we want to shoot for a day. Um, if you multiply your body weight by 0.4, I think that's a lower end number, but that could be a starting point again. Um, you could do 0 0.5, 0 0.6, 0 0.7. If you like eating more fat over the course of the day, like again, there's flexibility with this, but I think one of the minimum numbers that I would say would be multiplying your body weight in pounds by 0.4. I'm doing that right now. So if you're a 200 pound person, that's about 80 grams of fat. So once you have those two numbers, 140 grams of protein, 80 grams of fat, what we're going to do is multiply um, that 80 grams times nine. Um, and we do that because one gram of fat has nine calories. So we're kind of calculating how many calories we're getting from uh, the grams of fat that we're shooting for. So if we do 80 times nine, that gives us 720 calories from fat. If we do 140 grams times four, that equals 560 calories from protein. So once we have those two numbers, we will add them together. That gives us 1280. So we have how many calories we're getting from protein in fat. And I don't know, let's say for a 200 per or 200 pound person, we say their maintenance calories is 3000 or 3200 calories. Um, let's say that's the number you're shooting for 3,200 calories a day. So if we, if we take your total calories and we subtract those two numbers that we just added together, so 3,200 minus 1280, we get 1920. So that is how many calories we have left, um, that we're going to get from our total carbs for the day. So if we get, uh, 1920, we're going to divide that by four because one gram of carb has four grams or sorry, four calories. Same with protein. Fat is the one that has more. Um, but if we take that number 1920 divided by four, we get 480 grams of carbs, which depending who you are, it could be a lot, could be right on the money, but that could be a way to just generally calculate or get some starting points of what the three macros could look like. And then kind of making adjustments from there. Maybe you subtract 100 calories from your, you know, your carbs and you add them to your fat. Uh, can kind of be whatever you prefer. Um, but that's how I would start. For most people, I would also add 
a fiber goal personally again. And I think you just tracking calories, protein, and fiber could be easier than tracking carbs, proteins, and fats and fiber. Again, I feel like I'm kind of biased, but um, a good rule of thumb if you're a female, 25 grams of fiber per day could be a, a number you shoot for, or 15 grams of fire, fiber per every thousand calories that you're eating. Uh, per day could be another rule of thumb. Uh, same thing with men shooting for like 35 to 40 grams a day, I think could be a good starting point. Um, but again, kind of keeping those numbers in mind, maybe you track for a few days, you get a basis of what you're consistently doing, and then you calculate your macros or some of these numbers, and then you can start to change your routine, your diet to start to hit some of these numbers a little bit more consistently. And there you go. So that was a long-winded way to answer that um, that question, but hopefully that makes sense on how to calculate your macros. If it doesn't, honestly, just DM me and we can walk through it together if you need to. But for everyone out there, um, sorry for taking up your time <laughs> listening to me do some math uh, in real time right here. So cool. Next question we have going along the tracking. Uh, this person says, new to tracking, should I be weighing meat raw or cooked? first off, love that you're giving tracking a shot, fires me up. But in general, if we look at it, raw meat will be more accurate. Uh, but if I had to say, and just from my experience working with people and myself, cooked is likely going to be more practical for almost everybody. Um, you know, if it's, if it's cooked and whatever, you know, food tracking app that you're using, like if you, you know, cook a chicken breast and you weigh it after it's cooked, like a lot of those apps allow you to search like cooked chicken breast or, or something like that. You use some keywords and that can pop up and maybe account for some of the minor differences, 10, 20% of the difference, like who knows, but, um, that might be the easiest thing. But again, with that being said, like if, if you just do the same methods over time, the data that you're collecting, it just becomes really consistent and it's more reliable, which is what matters most in this situation. So I wouldn't stress too much about this personally. Uh, I've always tracked cooked and as long as your methods are consistent, that's what I would just be more concerned with. You know, if, if you have the ability to weigh out how much raw ground beef you're going to be using for your tacos tonight, it's like, I'd almost just rather, if that's more work for you, and if it's going to make you more likely to adhere and to keep tracking, if it's easier for you to cook the meat first and then you weigh out whatever you put on your tacos, like I'd rather have you do that if that's what works for you and if it's into your schedule. So I don't know. I'm not a big believer that that makes all the difference in the world. Um, it could make a difference, but just keeping in mind, like whatever food tracking app that you're using, you just, you can just kind of make a note of that or or just search whatever it is that you cooked and, you know, searching the cooked version of that might give you a little bit different numbers. So keeping that in mind, again, I wouldn't stress too much about this, but hopefully that helps. Awesome. Next question is, what is your favorite protein bar? Now, I feel like the definition of like protein bar probably changes from person to person, like depending on who you ask. Now, when I think of a protein bar, personally, I think of a bar that has like 20 or more grams of protein per serving. And personally, if I'm being honest, like I'm not a huge fan of a lot of the protein bars that you see on the market or in the stores, mostly because these companies and these bars are super notorious for like adding a lot or some sugar alcohols and jacking up their fiber so they can knock the calories down and use that kind of as a marketing strategy of like, Hey, this is a lower calorie bar and a high protein bar. And you could do that by knocking the calories down by adding a ton of these sugar alcohols and, uh, in fiber when you add to these, these products. Now from a nutrition standpoint, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with sugar alcohols. Um, yeah, getting more fiber could be a good thing. Like I, that could be another conversation of like diversity of fiber, like you going and hammering two, you know, uh, carb balance mission tortillas that have 15 grams of carbs per serving or grams of fiber per serving. 
is going to be different than you eating 30 grams of, you know, fiber over the course of the day from a diversity of foods. Like, I think that's a conversation that we need to, you know, keep in mind. We're not going to talk about it today, but there's nothing wrong with these sugar alcohols. There's nothing wrong with the fiber that they add to these bars. But my thing is they don't always make people feel good, or at least that, that that's how they make me feel. I guess I'll say that, but I, I've, I know people from I've worked with and and people sharing other stories that, hey, I I have this tiger's milk bar, but I feel like it's just sitting in my stomach for the rest of the day and you get really bad gas from it. You know, it's like, if that's how it makes you feel, like I'd almost encourage you to maybe not have them if if it, you know, makes you feel like a bag of trash at the end of the day. Like um, for me personally, when I have a bar or some kind of nutrition bar, I tend to stick to the bars that have maybe like, you know, 12 to 18 or 20 grams of protein. So less than the traditional quote unquote protein bars that you might find, but there's still a good amount of protein in there. Um, but I found for me personally, the bars that I always come back to that I enjoy that, like actually don't make me feel terrible or like they're just sitting in my stomach are things like RX bars. And again, not that, you know, small ingredient lists are the end all be all of health, but I find that the five ingredients, they just sit well with my stomach and it just makes me feel better after I eat them or I can eat them with other things and not feel like I'm super gassy or bloated after eating it. But RX bars are awesome. I'd be lying if I didn't say that I hammer perfect bars over the course of the week ever since Costco got those, you know, 12 packs of perfect bars. Like I have one a day and, um, Again, no real magic benefits to it. Personally, you know, I'm eating, trying to eat more calories and they are higher in calories, which is something that I'm looking for. So it might not be the perfect fit for everyone's diet, right? You trying to cut and eat 1400 calories a day and trying to fit a perfect bar in is likely not a thing. So again, take that with a grain of salt, but perfect bars, I think can be a good bar. Same thing with like go macro bars as well. I think go macro bars are awesome. Um, a little bit higher in fiber compared to some of the other stuff that you might see out there. They have like 10 to 15 grams of protein. They're most of them are going to be anywhere from 250 to 300, you know, 30 calories. So keep that in mind if you are keeping, you know, track of how many calories you're eating or um, if you're trying to cut back. But um, you know, all these bars do not and should not necessarily replace a meal. Um, they could be a good addition or a snack, or you could eat that in conjunction with an apple or whatever it is. Like you can add to those bars and to make it more satiating when you do choose to eat those bars. But for me in general, like I, I can't sit here and recommend a certain bar like Quest or just something that, you know, you would see a lot in the store that I would be like, yeah, get that every time. I think it's all, it all comes down to the person again, um, as unsexy as that sounds, but I, f- I feel like I've personally had a lot of success with some of those bars. Um, and I, I know people have also shared that same feeling as well. RX bars, perfect bars, go macro bars, maybe not as high as protein as you might get from some of these other things, but you sure as fuck feel a lot better. And to me that, that is something to consider when, when looking for some of your, your protein bars or energy bars or whatever it is that you're doing. So yeah, I hope that answered your question. Uh, I don't know if I have a fav- favorite pro- quote unquote protein bar, but definitely some things that come to mind when, you know, when I'm looking for bars. So cool. Next question is tips on how to get out of the all or nothing headspace I'm always in. Yeah, you and you and me both and, and everyone on this planet, it seems like. Um, yeah, you know, this, this is this is tough. And, um, it, it's hard to answer this on like a Q and a on Instagram. Sometimes it's hard to sit here and, and to, to say, Hey, here's the magic answer to help you get out of this headspace. Cause to be honest, it's, it's likely going to be a daily practice and something that you work on with yourself, or maybe you seek a therapist or, uh, you know, you have some other accountability source or you have somebody, you know, pushing you to, uh, think differently or to challenge some of those perceptions and, and narratives that you've been telling yourself for a long time. But man, you know, when I, when I see this myself included, but I think a lot of times this mindset stems from people thinking that they have to do, you know, all this health and fitness stuff to the extreme just to get in shape and, and, 
and to be healthy. I, I think people need people think that they need to be all in, and that's what's going to get them optimal health. And unfortunately, what that leads to is them doing nothing when they can't do those things that they're telling themselves they need to do uh, perfectly, right? So I'm not saying that's you. That was definitely me maybe at one point in my life. But to be honest, we can see pretty amazing progress from a lot less. Uh, If you just freaking stopped, you know, expecting perfection from yourself, right? And it sounds cliche, but just keep showing up for yourself every single day. You know, this isn't an on and off switch. It's a dimmer switch, however you want to look at it. But um, I, I just want you to think that, you know, perfection is the enemy of progress. I, I don't know who says that, but I, I love that quote. Um, but you could also just, you know, you could stop trying to make new habits that are super extreme and, you know, super rigid and just start looking for something that you can actually sustain long-term or think that you could do long-term. So I think part of it comes from the goals and the overly ambitious, you know, benchmarks and things that you try and set up for yourself and, and the methods that it usually takes to get to those things are rigid and, and often require this perfectionist mentality, which leads to you thinking that I'm all in. And then when you're off of that and you're not seeing any progress, um, because some of these goals are so lofty and, and really, you know, not even, not even realistic. Like, I don't know. I think that that's something that kind of perpetuates this whole cycle of people feeling like I always need to be perfect to see progress. Right. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think another kind of way to, to think about this is like asking yourself if this is a mindset that you have in other aspects of your life too, right. Or how long you've been kind of dealing with this or doing this in your health and fitness routine. Um, you know, maybe it's only that you do this in your health and fitness, which is the case for some people. And when people realize that and they're not this all or nothing person when it comes to their work or their social life or, um, their relationships or them training their dog, it's like, I don't know, like giving yourself some forgiveness and, and expecting yourself to be perfect in this area when you're not expecting that same expectation in everything else. Like, I don't know. I I don't think that's fair all the time either. So yeah, just keep that in mind. Like ask yourself, are you, are you seeing some of these tendencies play out in your other um, areas of your life? And sometimes that could be a very enlightening experience being able to come to the realization that maybe you're being a hard ass on yourself and that's not something that's actually serving you in this area. So it's time to change shit up because you know, the time is going to pass either way, but you know, can we make the most of it and, and have 70 or 80% compliance or adherence or, you know, improvement over the next year or two years or 10 years instead of having, you know, hundred or 95% being on point for a month and then having three months followed with zero or 10% kind of thing. Right. So I don't know, a lot of questions to, to think of and to ponder on your own, but man, just, just get rid of the shit that isn't serving you and and take a different approach if you need to. And, you know, you asking that question of like, Hey, how to get out of this all or nothing headspace. You've already acknowledged that this is not something that is serving you or is being productive anymore. So understanding that is kind of honestly the first battle, but it's what you need to keep in the back of your head when shit hits the fan or when you get frustrated or when a lot of these inevitable barriers start to pop up. Um, it becomes a little bit easier to overcome those when you're not expecting perfection from yourself. So again, it's not, it's not fair that you expect that from yourself when you probably don't expect that from other people or expect that from yourself in every other area of your life. So it doesn't have to be that way with your health and fitness either. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my response to that. Hopefully, hopefully that gets you thinking about, you know, just a different way to look at some of these things. But yeah, I think the health and fitness space kind of really implants this idea in our head that we have to be perfect to to see progress and to get what we want out of our health and fitness pursuits when in reality man like this is this is a lifelong pursuit and if you're constantly expecting perfection of yourself like you're you're gonna flat or fall flat on your face more often than not so yeah yep keep that in mind cool the last question i have here is is survival mode actually real like not eating enough so you can't lose weight? I love this question. I kept this one in here for a reason. Um, and to be super blunt, no, that is not a real thing, which is likely 
uh, a statement that you've heard before in the past. Hell, I think I've even believed that or have even said, you know, um, some things around this idea that survival mode could be the thing that is keeping you from losing weight if you're not eating enough. But this idea that like, you know, you can eat too little and not lose weight because of that is not actually a thing. So we all need to get on the same page with that. So, um, you know, if you eat so little food and again, I'm just trying to explain this out loud, but like your body shifts into this state where it's holding on to all of your existing fats. Like it's just, it's physically impossible, you know? And it's, probably similar to saying something like a, you know, maybe your car ran out of gas and you, you know, had to park on the side of the freeway, but uh, it started back up again because it started to create its own gas and it went even faster, you know, next time or um, without even putting more gas in it. It's just thermodynamics apply to everybody here and our bodies can't create energy or these fat cells without an energy source or calories coming in consistently. So now there is a caveat, right? Like can your body downregulate the amount of calorie or energy you're burning day to day in response to the calories that you're eating? Like 100 fucking 10%. That's this metabolic adaptation conversation. Um, I think that's what gets interchanged now that I think of it of like survival mode and metabolic adaptation. People think it's the same thing when maybe there's some truth to that, but this idea that you're eating too little, so therefore you're not going to lose weight because of that is not actually a thing, okay? And um, if you're consistently eating less calories than what you're burning daily, you're going to keep losing weight, full stop. You know, we have studies like this to like even the uh, Minnesota starvation study, right? Uh, even, I uh, just a random thought here too, but just came to my mind because I always find myself thinking about this, but I, I love Survivor, it's a show on CBS or whatever. And if you haven't heard of it, like the the premise of the show is, you know, a bunch of these people go onto this island or whatever it is and they're on teams and then but they're all kind of playing individually, but there's transitions like hey, you're on a team or uh, two teams or maybe you're making it to the merge and then you're playing individual, but it's kind of this like social experiment, but there's challenges. Um but kind of called survivor for a reason because these people don't fucking eat for like 30 days or however long the duration of the show is and it's always amazing to me and it's um i think it's really relevant to the conversation that we're having right now of like is survival mode real because we would see this play out in real life if we were watching this on tv which every year never fails right like you get these people some people like maybe way more than other people some people maybe have more weight to lose or have a different starting point than you know the skinny kind of nerd kid that's a nasa engineer whatever it is but it never fails every year and it's becoming a little bit more prevalent and talked about but people lose anywhere from 20 30 40 plus pounds throughout these 25 to 30 days because these fuckers just aren't eating. Like they're, they're, they're literally eating a cup of rice and like a coconut a day, right? And having water. And, and maybe sporadically they win a challenge and they get to have a feast or go whatever, eat the Applebee's, whatever, sponsoring the show at the time. And it's like, yes, you can get some calories here and there, but these people lose weight consistently day after day. And over the course of those two, three weeks, however long they're in the game, they lose a fuck ton of weight regardless of what their starting point is. And if this survival mode thing was actually real, we would see on these shows like Survivor that, you know, people wouldn't end up losing weight because their body is still conserving energy and shutting down and preventing them from losing weight because they're not eating enough. Like we would see that firsthand, but that never happens, nor will it ever happen. And it's uh it's just something that I want you to remember that this idea that, hey, I'm eating too little, so therefore I'm not losing weight argument needs to just kind of disappear. Now with all that being said, I get the headspace of where you're at because this is likely something people are experiencing or thinking they're experiencing. And in these situations, I tend to be an advocate for food tracking, right? Because, and again, I don't know, like food tracking and tracking your calories is not necessary for weight loss. I need to always start with that. Uh, you could do it without it, but it can be a really useful short-term tool for a lot of people and just create awareness around how much you're actually eating and is being honest with yourself and looking across the week in two weeks in a month and seeing what you're consistently doing because chances are 
you're either underreporting or underestimating how much you're actually eating. And, you know, on a day-to-day basis, if you're following your plan to a T and you're perfect, yeah, maybe you might be in a deficit, right? But are you doing that seven days in a row? Are you doing that over the course of weeks, over months? Because chances are, if you were, you would be losing weight and that would reflect that. Um, but I just, yeah, I just, I tend to be an advocate for people tracking their food because again, it creates some awareness and and people can be very surprised with how much they eat and drink unknowingly over the course of the week. And this isn't a thing to to shame anybody and say, yeah, you're eating too much and X, Y, and Z and you know, if you're living your life and you enjoy it and, you know, weight loss is not your goal and, you know, you're in a, a headspace where you enjoy your life. Like I fucking love that for you. And I, my goal honestly is to get more people to that point, whatever that looks like for them. But these people who, um, maybe come to me or, you know, who I see say, Hey, I'm, I've been trying to lose weight for however long, but it's just not working and therefore my metabolism is broken or whatever it might be, whatever we think. Um, you know, a lot of times it just takes some attention to detail because let's be real, like this whole process, it could be simple, you know, like the the principles are simple, the ideas, the concepts, like what you do for a period of time, like it can be fairly simple, but the shit is not easy, you know, and, and this is part of the stuff that's really hard is building awareness, being honest with yourself, looking at, you know, data across a period of time instead of just a day-to-day, um, you know, kind of time frame and being able to, to make adjustments and set these commitments, commitments to yourself can make all the difference of the world sometimes. So yeah, long story short, survival mode is not a thing. Like you can't, it's impossible for you to eat 400 calories a day and then, it, you know, have your body say, oh shit, we're not eating enough. So we're not going to lose any more weight. Like that's just not something that can actually happen. So yeah, hopefully that answered your question. That is actually the last question that I had. As always, this these episodes tend to go a little bit longer than I anticipated, but a lot of good questions. And again, I appreciate everybody for asking a question. And until next time, remember to eat with a purpose, train with intention, and think with confidence as you work towards your own nutrition and fitness goals. I appreciate you listening as always, and uh, I'll see you on the next episode. Peace. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you found value and enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media. If you do, make sure you tag me so I can say thanks. Or if you're on iTunes, scrolling down and leaving a five-star review would be much appreciated. And if you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always find me on Instagram at LukeSmithRD. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode.